Hello there. You are listening to the MCC Sunday Sermon. We are so glad you could join us. We pray that this message will encourage you, build your faith on your journey with God. Enjoy. Last week was the first part, if you want to say that. I wasn't quite sure whether we'd do a second part, but we're going to do two part two of Here Be Dragons. Last week it came up, there was just Here Be Dragons, but now it's part two. I was trying to think of a catchy title, but part two's fine. Um, I'm not the movie. I was trying to think of a movie title for it, you know, Here Be Dragons, part two, The Reckoning, or, you know, like part two, Judgment Day or something. Like, but Here Be Dragons, last week, if you weren't here, don't clench up too tightly because we're not going to get into... Revelation. We're not going to get into the dragons and we're not going to get into those sorts of things as awesome as that would be. Last week we spoke about here be dragons and it kind of centered off this, this kind of theme, this map where there's, there's, there's gaps. There's bits of the unknown that we're not quite sure about. And in medieval map making, they would write in the gaps on the map where they didn't know what was going to happen, what was going to come. They would write, here be dragons. It was just like a statement, like, we don't know what's there. We're not sure. It's blank. We actually don't know. But the map makers were being pretty negative. There's probably dragons. Who knows? Um, it's going to be bad. Um, but there's this sense, though, isn't there, in life, we can kind of face up to what is a brand new year, almost every day of the week, in fact. But at the start of a year, maybe there's lots we do know, but there's also lots we don't know. There's this uncertainty, isn't there, about life? Man, look back over 2023 and you're like, man, there were some curveballs. Stuff that we didn't expect to happen, stuff that was unexpected. Uncertainty in our lives, ironically, can be the most certain of things. In fact, it's about the only thing you can be sure of is that you won't know what's going to happen because none of us... None of us have a crystal ball. None of us see the future. There's always going to be something. So last week we spoke about embracing uncertainty. I think a lot of the times we can kind of shrink back from uncertainty and kind of hold up and say, well, this is, this is my box. I won't step off the map. This is all I know. This is my track. I'm going to do this and nothing else. But how there's a great sense of what God, how important it is what God does in those moments of uncertainty. And how we need to embrace those moments, speaking about uh, shedding our ego and living selflessly. And how that brings, uh, uncertainty can bring a godly perspective on things. We have an opportunity to do that. And if you were here, there was a big map. That was kind of fun, wasn't it? It was like high school geography all over again. We talked about the map and about how things on the fringes of the maps, because of the way that the, the, the maps were made, they're out, they're out of proportion. The scale's off. And when you bring those things back into the center... Uh, they, they change shape. They, in fact, totally change shape. Although the facts are the same, in comparison to how big they actually are, there's a whole lot God wants to do in that, about our perspective on things and who God is and how big he is. doesn't necessarily minimize your problem, doesn't minimize this, this nervousness, but it, what it does do, it gives us the opportunity to magnify him, doesn't it? There's this sense of, although this is when, one way, I know that he is greater. Although this might seem big from the outskirts, when I bring it into the center, when I bring it into who he is, when I align it to his purposes and who God is, things change. We have a different perspective. Maybe you've been all been looking at maps a bit differently. I don't know if anyone encountered any maps this week, but you were, hopefully you were like, yes, Graham taught me about that, I remember. Um, <laughs> it's true. I was trying to find a map, actually. I realized that I really wanted to get my most... Okay, we're getting really nerdy now. One of the things that I am really jealous of is the maps that they have at flight center in the shopping centers. You know, the, 
the travel agency, they've got that huge map on the wall, but it's wrong, isn't it? Because it's all scaled incorrectly. Now you can walk past and be like, that's an incorrect map. Um, <laughs> also, I'm English, and I'm used to England being in the middle of the map. On the flight center map, Australia's in the middle of the map, and then it all spreads out that way. This is a more correct map, because England's in the middle. That's... Thank you. Bit of patriotism in the room. We've all got maps, though, don't we? We've all got maps. My dad had a whole shelf of maps. Like, I think I kind of inferred last night, every time you go out for a picnic, my dad would have a shelf full of maps you'd have to rifle through to find out where we were going to go. For the picnic, they were the old ones that you had to fold out, and they'd always fold up really badly, and you'd kind of stuff them back in. You know the ones. Everyone of a certain generation is like, yes, I know paper maps. There's this sense of, like, opening them up and tracking where you are, trying to figure it out. I don't know who has any of those maps still. I don't have many of them. I remember buying a, uh, an A to Z directory from when we visited overseas somewhere. You've got to figure it out. It's nice to have a paper map. Actually, look how far away things are. But that's the beauty of maps, though, isn't it? They can be very beautiful. You can have one on your wall, but kind of like my dad, every time we would talk about going for a picnic, he'd be like, here's the map. They're kind of designed to be used, aren't they? They're not just for looking at. Lovely to be displayed, but maps are kind of, they're designed for a purpose, aren't they? They're created to be used, not just to be admired. We've all got them on our shelves. Maybe they're under the car seat. Remember how we used to have UBD street directories? Anyone with me? Yes. If you have done the UBD street directory, you are a different class of human being compared to the people that just punch it in and just let the computer tell you where to go. I remember moving to Australia from England. You're talking small town, very rural England. So, like, think Midsummer Murders. That's my hometown. Like, very cottages, like, back lanes. I knew... Every road around me, like someone who was into maps, that was just like obvious, but you kind of had a mental map, like most of you who are local here, you know all the little back roads, you knew if the cows were blocking the road at a certain time, which they did every day at a certain time, you knew not to go home on that back lane, you'd go home a different back lane. I knew every, everything. I, I, I knew, you told me how to go, I knew exactly how long it took, knew where to go, you're the same, you know how to get to... Warana, you know, how to get to Malula. We've all got these little maps. I knew everything. Moved to Sydney, Australia, a city of like four million people, and get handed a UBD street directory when you get here and say, get to there at that time. Like, it's a mission to plan your route because you have to go to the certain page, don't you? you? Like, you look it up, you flick through the pages, and you find where you need, okay, I've got to go to Parramatta, okay, and then it says on the edge of that little line, it says page 42, and then you have to skim all the way back, and it's not even next to it. You turn the page thinking it's there, but it's about another half chapter ahead, and you have to go all the chapter. It's not a chapter in a book. You go all the way through. Turn to chapter four. Uh, you go all the way there, and then if you didn't know, if you hadn't pre, you had to, like, pre-write the route on a bit of paper, did anyone ever do that? You'd pre-write the route and have that on the seat next to you, and then you'd read and look over and be like, turn left at the next set of lights, okay. And then if you're really into it, you'd grab it off the seat onto your lap as you're driving, and you would turn the page, oh, I'm lost now, where do I go? If the passenger was in the car, they had to do it. They were the navigator, right? Often, you know, many dates that we had going into the city at the time. It's like, tell me where to go. Babe, is it left or is it right? Hold on, I've got to turn to chapter nine. You know, all the through. No idea where to go. But they're designed for a purpose, aren't they? Show us how to get somewhere. Maps are designed for movement. 
They're designed to take us from one place to another. So you know how to get from point A to point B. It's, that's what maps are for. And maybe we, all have, maybe we all have our own maps. I'm not just talking about maps of how to go somewhere here. We talked about it a little bit last week, maps that we've got on our, our shelves in our mind, in our, in our souls, carefully folded. Latest business idea that I've got, that's a map on my shelf. Or how to, how to get that better body for 2024. I, I know exactly how to get the summer body that I desire. I know exactly how to get it. I've got a map. I, I know, it's a map, but it's carefully folded and it's neatly placed on the shelf. And it rarely comes off that shelf. I'm not the only one who knows who's got a map, right? We've got maps. Maybe we've got a map for building our marriage, a map for studying more effectively this year. I know how to do this or to finish that song that we've been writing. Maybe it's a map to beat addiction. There's some big maps on the shelf. Are you with me so far? Are you, are you kind of dialing into what's going on here? But maybe 2024 is the year when we can maybe dust off some of those old maps. We can take them off the shelf and start sketching in Maybe some new coastlines, like adding in some new towns and oh, I'd forgotten about that mountain range. That'd be great. Maybe we can do that. Filling in the blanks, preparing for what God's got for us this year, to prepare, to make preparations, to get ready for something that God's got for us in, in 2024. I, run, I wonder, are we ready for what God has for us? Or are we sat just, oh, I know the maps are there. I'm well aware of how to do it all. But are we actually ready? I think that's one thing my dad taught me in those moments of going for a picnic. You didn't just appear at the picnic site. You had to plan your route. Where are we going to go? What's going to be there? How are we going to get there? What roads do I take? What, am I, what do I need to bring with me? In fact, to have a great picnic or to go on that hike or to go overseas or to make that thing happen, you don't just sit tight and wait for the destination to come to you, do you? There's this sense of being ready and being prepared. And maybe not just our plans. Maybe not just our maps. Maybe, maybe God's up to something as we surrender those blank spaces, those, those here-be-dragon spots on the map, and we say, how about you lead me? As we orient ourselves to his bearing and take our readings from his point of reference, not our own. Are we ready for what God has for us in 2024? Maybe we can look back in December of 2024 and look back over this year and say, I saw God do something. Are you with me? I, I, I encountered more. I walked just that little bit further than I did last year. I delved deeper. I climbed higher because there was this sense of preparation, of being ready. I hope you're starting this year with some sense of expectation. That's why we sort of have these moments, even at the very start of the service, where you're like, are you ready? Are you expectant? This is just like a microcosm, a little example of what God's up to in your life every day, all the years of your life, in fact. There's this sense of like, am I expectant for what God's going to do? What, what God can do? And not just in the broader picture, but what God can do in us and through us and for us. Are we ready? So here's some thoughts. I wrote some thoughts down on being ready for this year, ready for what's ahead. In these unexpected moments, this time when we're uncertain, his three, there's only three, so you can count them so you know when I'm finished. Number one uh, for being ready this year, and we're going to take it out of Exodus chapter 12. Uh, I've got it here. It's going to come up on the screen behind me too. 
We're going to take most of these things today out of the, the children of Israel and their, their departure from Egypt. And here's a brief context for this. Most people have an under Egypt now for 400 plus years, 450 years of slavery. They haven't had their own agency. They've not been able to make their own decisions. They've not been able to do what they want. They are slaves. And such was the burden at the time that God says, I've heard the cry of how hard it is. So it wasn't like easy slavery. <laughs> it wasn't just like servitude. The burden was so much that God said, I'm going to intervene. That's how hard it was. And it's into that mix that Moses gets called out of the wilderness and gets sent back to, his, uh, back to Egypt to call his people out. And we're picking this one up in chapter 12. There's been a little bit of to and fro. There's been some plagues. And it says this in verse 11. It says, these are your instructions for eating this meal. This meal is now what we would know as Passover. God is introducing this ritual, this festival, this meal as a way for them to be protected from the last of the plagues. They've had a lot of plagues, but this last plague is the worst plague of all. It's the plague that's going to take Every firstborn in the land, animals, people, the whole lot, every firstborn's going to die. And this is the way that God wants to protect them. And if you know scripture, if you understand what's going on in here, this is obviously the first real and best clear foreshadow of Jesus' sacrifice to protect us from the onset of sin and death. Are you with me so far? So Passover is important. Everyone's like, yep, get it, Graham. Very good. And this is it. Verse Verse tw uh, chapter 12, verse 11. These are instructions for eating the meal of Passover. It says, be fully dressed. Wear your sandals and carry your walking stick in your hand. Eat the meal with urgency, for this is the Lord's Passover. I think at the start of 2024, this is a really good spot in Scripture to land because there's this sense of God telling his people, I'm about to do something. Are you with me? These people have been stuck in slavery for a long time. They're wondering, is God ever going to save us? And God says, I'm going to do something, but are you ready? Are you ready for me to do something? God's almost preparing them for this incredible exodus. So my first point this morning is, number one, are you ready for movement? Ready? Are you ready for movement? I think this is pretty obvious in the context of uh, the Passover, because at that point, the people of Israel, they haven't been able to go anywhere. They've been stuck, going in circles, as it were, in Egypt, doing what they've been told to do. They don't have a choice to go anywhere. And then all of a sudden, God says, I'm going to move. I'm going to move on you. I'm going to move on Pharaoh. I'm going to deliver you. But then you're going to have to move because I'm calling you out and into something new. And you see what's going on here? I, these people are getting ready for movement. It, it sort of reminds me, uh, there's been little snippets of it here and there. We've talked about it a little bit. But there's been two significant times in our lives as a family where we've, we've literally moved. That doesn't sound too exciting as I start that statement. You're like, great, everybody has moved, Graham. But there's been two distinct instances when we left. We were living at Tweed Heads at the time and we left and moved to Newcastle. And then when we left Newcastle and moved to here, to the Sunshine Coast, both times, especially that first move to Newcastle, at the start of the year, we had no idea what was going on. In fact, the whole of that year was a complete blank spot. We had no real idea about what was going to happen that year. We, I mean, we had ideas, but we didn't know what God was up to. But all we heard at the start of that year was this scripture. And God say, just be ready. 
Just be prepared because I'm going to do something. You don't know what it is yet. Kind of like we read last week with Abraham or Abram when uh, God says, I'll take you to a land that I will show you. There's this, just be ready and then I'm going to do something. And it was similar when we left Newcastle. We didn't know why we were coming to the Sunshine Coast. We just knew that that was what we had. We were just ready for that movement alone we were ready for, but we didn't know what God had in store for us there. Both times we left without jobs. Both times we left with debt. Both times we left not knowing what was going to happen with family, not knowing how we were going to get to do what we had to do. Both times we didn't know what we were going to manage to do with a hat. Both, but all we did know was that God had said, just be ready. And I think there's a great sense of what God's doing here in these people is that they were just being told to get ready. It says that in verse 11. We read it really quickly. These are your instructions for eating this meal. Be fully dressed, wear your sandals, and carry your walking stick in your hand. They had to be fully dressed as they ate the meal. You see what picture that paints of what God's saying to them is be ready, be dressed, have your walking stick out, have your sandals on, be fully dressed, be ready to go. Because when I move, you've got to be ready for what I'm going to do. There's a better translation of that, be fully dressed. You might have another translation and it will say, gird your loins, which is a very old school King James way of putting that phrase, gird your loins, get ready. That whole phrase is a throwback to when they'd have to wear robes and they'd have to fold their robe up over and tuck it in their belt. And it was the, basically what they would have to do. It was what was told to them before they'd go into battle or before they would make a journey. The comment is, gird up your loins. And it wasn't anything more weird than just grabbing your robe and tucking it in your belt. In other words, get ready. It's a really fascinating word study, actually, when you look up that phrase. It's repeated throughout Scripture. Elijah, there's others who do it, where there's this gird your loins. In other words, get ready for something. Get ready for battle. Get ready for travel. It's a small detail, but it implies expectation for God to do something, doesn't it? And more importantly, too, Here they are, they're dressed, they're ready to go, and they're not just eating boiled potatoes. They're not just having KFC from down the road. There's this sense that what they're consuming is also as equally important as how ready they are for God to do something. As you know, they're they're digesting lamb. This lamb was something that had been given to them. They, they, they took a lamb, they brought it into their house. It had to be the perfect male lamb, had to be without blemish and without spot. And then they'd look after it for a while. They'd love on it like a pet and then they'd kill it and then they would eat it. This Passover lamb is just the most obvious and brilliant example of how we are to digest the lamb. Are you with me? That we don't just sit and wait and expect and just hang out for God to do something. But while we're eating while we're consuming Jesus, while we're consuming the lamb and everything that he is, that's when we're ready for God to do something. It's not just sitting back and waiting and expecting God to do something because he must, but the gospel at work within us, his power at work within us propels us into movement. It propels us into doing something more. And that's the order of it is eat first, then move. In other words, consume him and then do something, not the other way around. It's a beautiful picture of the new covenant. We don't do in order to be accepted. We first accept and then do. Are you with me? The the, the layers of truth in this scripture, I know we're not going to plumb exactly straight now. But as we consume him, we are then commissioned to do. Jesus uh, Jesus received, then we act. We trust and then we move. And we're not just 
on the outskirts of learning about who Jesus was and where he lived and what miracles he did and what philosophers say about him. It's this immersion, this full digestion. They had to eat the whole lamb as much as they could, as quickly as they could. They had to consume the whole lamb, immersed in his work, his blood as our covering, his place on the cross instead of ours. Come on, there are Christians in the room. Any eternal forgiveness, limitless grace, his rejection and our acceptance, his brokenness, our wholeness, his pain, like... These are the, this is doctrine. It's not just fluff in the air. Oh, yeah, learn about Jesus. It's immersing ourselves in the work of the cross, who Jesus is as we sit and as we consume this meal, as we digest him, as we digest his glory, not just the latest wind of doctrine or some fascinating conspiracy or self-help fad. We take it back to consuming Jesus, his kindness and glory, his holy. Are you with me? It's not just any meal. It's Jesus. That's the meal we consume. First, it's revelation, and then comes action, comes movement, steps forward, doing something, getting off the map. Like we said last week, there's this sense of you've consumed, you've received, there's been a revelation, but now what do you do? Now there's a step into the unknown, into these blank spots you've not been before. And sometimes that isn't easy. Sometimes it's weird talking to someone that you haven't talked to before. I remember a long time ago, we were on the Gold Coast, actually, we were looking for a building for something at the time, a project, and we were talking with this real estate agent who was showing us through, and as we're talking, as we're, as we're going through the building, I just felt like God needed to like, arrest him, to talk to him, to say something. God needed to break into this man's life. I didn't have a clue who this guy was. Never met him before, apart from this one tour of a building. And we got out into the car park, and we we're exchanging details, not knowing really how long we'd ever see him for, where he would come from, where he was going. And I just turned to him and I said, I, I don't know you and you don't know me. You've been showing us through a building. It was for a church actually at the time. I said, you, you don't know me and I don't know you, but God knows you. And that there's something going on in your life that you, that you haven't gone to him about yet. You're, I don't know. Maybe you're not a Christian. I didn't know anything about him. I assumed he wasn't. I said, you've probably never gone to God with this, but there's something in your life that You need to give to God. God wants to do something in your life. And it's that awkward moment, isn't it, when you do that and you're like, inside, outside, very holy. Inside, come on, we can be real. We all look very holy on platform, don't we? But like in real life, we're like, in that moment thinking, and you know, he turned to me and he said, I've just been diagnosed with cancer like breathed it out. And I went, wow. He goes, the doctors are doing preliminary tests, but they think it's, they think it's like it's taken hold. I'm not sure what's going to go on. I'm estranged from my family. I don't know what's going to go on. And obviously looked at him and went, okay, that's why I needed to say something. And we stopped and we prayed and we prayed for him, prayed, prayed a bold prayer, prayed in faith, asked God to heal him right there in the car park of a random industrial unit on the Gold Coast. Invited him to church and said, hey, you should come. You should come to church. Oh, yeah, okay, I see what happened. Next Sunday, he pulls up at the church. And we were like, wow, okay, this is cool. Anyway, a couple of weeks later, in an altar call, just like we'll do a bit later, someone, someone asked if anyone wants to meet Jesus for the first time. And he put up his hand and he said, I want to be a Christian. He'd never been a Christian in his life before, never been in church, never known anything. But he received Jesus into his heart. 
became a Christian. Celebrate enough. We're like high-fiving. It's incredible. He then gets back in touch with his family. The whole family gets restored. His son, who was also sick, was healed during his time that we knew him. We then moved on. We'd left that church by that point, moved on. We'd, we'd actually moved away. We'd heard, though, later on that he had, he had lost that battle with cancer and he went home to be with Jesus, which is sad for us, <laughs> like as people. But what glory awaited him when he went home as he retired, as he graduated? But I wonder, God was kind and always will be, but I wonder what would have happened if I hadn't have said something. If I hadn't have just... And this isn't me, this isn't my ego at play here. This is me giving you the encouragement to just take a step off the map a bit. Do it afraid. Do it not knowing whether it will land or not. Doing it not knowing, this isn't on my map, I didn't write this out today. I'm pretty sure this isn't supposed to be part of today. But here's God saying, once you've received me, once you've digested me, once you've consumed me, it implies almost as if implores does it even demand movement? Because you can't consume that and not be the same and not want to do something about it for other people. You can't not consume him and then go, I better just say something. And it doesn't have to be as exciting as telling someone that God needs to... Oh, I nearly fell off the stage there. Did you see that? I nearly fell off. We're all just human. It's not always as exciting and amazing as that. Sometimes it's paying for groceries. Sometimes it's taking a meal over to somebody. Sometimes it's just giving someone an encouragement, telling them they're, they're a good mum, telling them that you're doing a good job with your kid. Like, who knows? If it's off map, it's likely that God will move in it as well. Yeah. Just take the extra step. The, uh, the, the revelation of him implies movement. Are we ready for movement? Number two, are you ready for more Are you ready for more? It says in verse 35 of that same chapter in Exodus. It'll come up on the screen. It says this. It says this in verse 35. And the people of Israel did as Moses had instructed. They asked the Egyptians for clothing and articles of silver and gold. Excuse me. This is when the the Israelites are leaving Egypt. They're on their way out. They've been delivered. They've been protected. Now they're on their way out. They're making a move. They're not where they were. They're on the way to somewhere, and they're doing, like, they, like it says, they're doing what Moses had asked them. The Lord caused the Egyptians to look favorably on the Israelites, and they gave the Israelites whatever they asked for. Oh, I bet there were some Israelites who were like, oh, I should have asked for more. So they stripped the Egyptians of their wealth. What a cool scripture. They stripped the Egyptians, the, the departing slaves stripped the Egyptians of their wealth. They took all of the money. It wasn't just a spiritual blessing. It was wealth. We're talking actual cash in the bank. It's easy to preach here. Preachers like this preaching bit because it's all about wealth and blessing. You know, like it's good. It's legitimate. God wants us blessed. How can you bless if you are not first blessed? There's a great sense of camping out here. It's true. God wants us to be in a position to be able to bless others. If God can get it to you, then he can get it through you. Like there's this whole set. If you can let go of it, there's a great sense of how true this is. But it's more than just material blessing. It's more than just getting wealth for wealth's sake. It's more than just feeling like, wow, I'm not a slave anymore. Look at all my coins. Look at my jewelry. Look at my nice clothes. It's more than just uh, external. If you track back 
to the very start of Exodus in chapter 3. You see God sows the seed immediately. The moment that he's called Uh, The moment that he's called Moses into going and delivering his people, it says this in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 20. It says this. It's on the screen behind me. So I will raise my hand and strike the Egyptians, performing all kinds of miracles among them. Then at last he will let you go. And I will cause the Egyptians to look favorably upon you. They will give you gifts when you go, so you will not leave empty-handed. Every Israelite woman will ask for articles of silver and gold and fine clothing from their Egyptian neighbors and from the foreign women in their house. Listen, you will dress your sons and daughters with these, stripping the Egyptians of their wealth. I pray you're listening. I want to tell you a story, and this is going to illustrate this point. I might have a nice watch on now. I mean, nice enough that I like it. It's not really nice. not like a $10,000 watch or anything. Someone actually gave me this watch. But when I was a teenager, when I was about 12 or 13, I, I was one of those kids who didn't really have a lot of cool stuff. I never had a branded backpack. I never had the cool shoes. I never wore Nikes. Like, I wasn't that kid. I was the hand-me-down kid who wore his sister's school uniform to school. Like, I was that, bless me, father. Um, I wasn't the cool kid. I didn't have a lot of cool stuff. Didn't have a PlayStation at home. Didn't have a lot of cool gadgets. Wasn't that kid. But my mum worked in a jeweler's shop. And that meant we got things at cost price. And I got a really nice, at the time, a really nice watch for Christmas one year. And I loved it. And you'd put it on on Christmas Day and you'd get it out and you'd be like, wow, look at this watch, it's pretty fancy. But I wasn't allowed to wear it to school because it's too nice. That's like your Sunday watch. You wear that to church. Why you have to wear it to church, I don't know. But it's Sunday best, it's your nice fancy watch. But I get to school and miss my watch that was on my mantelpiece at home. That wonderful watch that was just glistening and gleaming and clean and wonderful, but it wasn't on my wrist, was it? And then, of course, I broke the rules and took it to school. And I'll tell you what, you get to school with a new watch on, and everyone's like, Graham, that's a really nice watch. You're like, this old thing, I got it for Christmas. And there's this sense of, like, there was a change in the way I kind of walked around. There was a bit of swagger. As a teenager, like, what's the time? I'll tell you. Um, <laughs> when's the ple- when does class end? Let me tell you. There was this sense of, like, this watch, it kind of... It, it kind of Mess with me a little bit. I was pretty impressed with myself. I, had a ni- I never really had anything to be impressive with. But all of a sudden, I had a nice watch. And people would ask me, where'd you get that watch? How much was it? Where did you get it from? What's the brand? I really like it. How-? I was the talk of the town until it broke because it was in PE and I left it and it fell off and it smashed underneath and it lost the little, the little dial on it. And then I had, didn't tell my mom. And then one day she realized that it was gone and we searched the house for days at a time trying to find it. And then I had to come clean and be like, mom, I took it to school. And then I was grounded. Sad story. Um, Come back next week for more of Graham's childhood. You see what it did to me, though? Kind of messed with me a little bit. I was like, I'm a little bit different. I'm wearing this thing. It's a little bit... Oh, that nearly came off. I've got a little pack here. Now you're all looking at me awkwardly. Thank you. But I wonder what difference that would have made to the Israelites and what God was actually doing in his people. He didn't say, just take the stuff and go. He said, make sure you dress your children in the plunder that you've taken. Are you listening? I want you to challenge the generational slavery in your people by letting them leave entirely differently to how they were already there. I want you to take them to another place, live somewhere different. But God wants to change the people of Israel from slavery into nationhood
by getting his people to dress the children differently. Are you with me? It's gone from just going to live somewhere differently to now living differently in that place. The more isn't just the material blessing. It's not just the stuff that you get to take out of Egypt. God's saying to his people, don't just take the stuff. It's actually more about not just changing your bank account. It's actually what's changed in here. Because as slaves, they're looking at their children now, leaving, uh, leaving Egypt totally different, changed in their appearance, but also as they get to the promised land, now changed in mentality and changed in who they are. Being ready for more being, means understanding the giver more than the gift. It's a change in mindset and perspective, like they had to change. They couldn't be a slave and a nation at the same time. They had to go from having been a people with no choice and no understanding of their own future to God now saying, I don't just want you to be slaves, I want you to be a nation. And it's going to take more than just living somewhere different. In fact, you might, want to, you might have left Egypt, but has Egypt, famously, has Egypt left you? The more they understood the giver, the more that they ended up trusting. The more that they didn't rely on their slave masters, but instead then relied on him, the more that they gave. Being ready for more being, means being ready to be more generous, more open, and more trusting. Watch this biblical pattern for giving. It's going to come up, 2 Corinthians, on the screen. It's a fair whack of scripture. It says, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. Lovely, great scripture. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. But here's the biblical pattern. And God will always generously provide all you need. You'll have everything you need. Uh, you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Amazing. As the scriptures say, they share freely. They give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one, listen, for God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources, and then you will produce a great harvest of generosity in you. You see the pattern here. It's almost like we were talking about Jesus. You consume him first, then you move. Here's the pattern for generosity. There's provision first from him, and then you give. The shift comes out of focus from just the gift to the giver. And the proof was in the people of Israel. It says this in Exodus 35. Uh, Moses said to the whole community of Israel, this is what the Lord has commanded. It says, take a sacred offering for the Lord. Let those with generous hearts present the following gifts to the Lord, gold, silver, and bronze. They've just left Egypt. It's the first time any of them have had like gold on their wrists and money in the bank account. They're wearing nice clothes. It's the first time they've ever kind of had any of these riches. And what does Moses say? Time to give an offering, guys. <laughs> you can imagine like these slaves are like, are you kidding me? We've just, that's how I would have reacted. I mean, maybe sinful people might have reacted. I don't want to give myself away. Really? I've just got it. It's the first time I've seen all this money. Oh, really? And now you want me to give it away? Maybe that's just me. Uh, maybe that's just the sinful amongst us, the fleshly people. But watch what happens. Verse 20, it says this. It says, so the whole community of Israel left Moses and returned to their tents. All the whose hearts were stirred... And all whose spirits were moved came and brought their sacred offerings to the Lord. They brought all the materials needed for the tabernacle, for the performance of its rituals and for the sacred garments. Both men and women came, all whose hearts were willing. They brought to the Lord their offerings of gold, brooches, earrings, rings. They presented gold objects of every kind as a special offering to the Lord. 
You see what's happening in the people now. These once slaves who had never seen riches before, they start having this revelation of who God is and what he's done. They think back, which is pretty much all Moses ever told them to, was don't forget what I've done. Don't forget what God has done in you. Here's the revelation. They go from being slaves and they suddenly have this revelation about who God is, what he's done for them, how he's delivered them, how they've trusted and how he's come through, how they've managed to not know what was going to happen, but God's done something and he's delivered them and he's rescued them from the Egyptians. Of course, I'll give. Of course, I'll respond because the, re- the resource is from him anyway. God provides, he delivers, and then they gave. It says this in verse 29 of the same chapter. So the people of Israel, every man, every woman who was eager to help in the work, had given them through Moses, brought their gifts, and gave them freely to the Lord. Such was that revelation that they were like, yeah, of course I would. Because their trust isn't in the more. It wasn't in the riches, not in the money. It's in who God is. The trust goes from in the stuff to the provider. And then, of course, they're generous. And then right at the end uh, of this passage in uh, Exodus 36, it says, they went to Moses and reported, the people have given more than enough materials to complete the job. They've gone from never having anything to giving more than enough. Being slaves to overgiving. You see what God's doing? It's not just about giving you more stuff blessing you, you being more prosperous and being able to bless more, it's actually what's going on in here. It's actually about provision. Where our trust is. That's what 2024 is. It's not about how much do I get, where's God going to come through and how am I going to get what I need. Instead, it's God, I will trust you to provide and then I can be generous. Number three, as the team comes up. Last point for those of you who are counting. Ready for movement, ready for more, ready for him. We've got one last stop before we wrap up, and it's another beautiful picture of God's provision in Scripture. It's in Genesis 22, if you've got your Bibles, if you're reading with me. Genesis 22 and verse 1, it says this, Sometime later God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Number two, verse two, it says, take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, go to the land of Moriah, go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will show you. It's a heavy, heavy scripture, actually, like a really big moment. God's saying, hey, your only son, that thing I've provided, that thing that I gave to you as a promise, I want you to take it and I want you to sacrifice it. (laughs) And it's, relatively easy to preach about sacrifice in this moment kind of scripture sets you up for it let's preach about sacrifice let's preach about bringing things to the altar let's preach about our response like you can get that out of that scripture it's not hard to work on that and it's true there are things that we need to surrender things that are important to us that we need to bring to God we need to go and build an altar and sacrifice them before God and say yep I trust you but that's not actually what this scripture is really about you could actually look at him and this whole thing about hard choices and the altar of obedience but really this scripture is actually more about Abraham's trust in God's provision than it is about his willingness to sacrifice it says this in verse 7 Isaac turned to Abraham and said father yes my son Abraham replied we have the fire and the wood the boy said but where's the sheep for the offering 
Listen to verse 8. God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son. Abraham answered. They both walked on together. It's because Abraham's already seen God do the miraculous things. He was, he was in, it was an impossibility for him to have a child, for, his, for Sarah to have a child. Medical impossibility, but God brought it about. He had a child. They named him Isaac because they were so full of laughter, so full of joy. They couldn't believe that it had happened. This promise after so many years had finally come to be. He'd, he'd already witnessed God do something impossible. So why not again? Why not? Why wouldn't God do something again? I've already seen him do something. That's why these people are called the fathers of faith. Because they look at these uh, circumstances and they say, yeah, but I've already seen God move. So he's likely, in fact, I'm sure he'll do it again. So he's looking at Isaac and thinking, even if this doesn't work out, I know that God will provide. It says this in Hebrews in chapter 11. It says that even though uh, it was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. It says this, even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your whole descendants will be counted. Verse 19, Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his sons back from the dead. Such was his assurance that God had already done it once. God can do it again. So it's actually less about him being willing to make a sacrifice, but actually more about his confidence in God's provision. Culminates like this in verse 13. It says, Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram as a burnt offering in place of his son. Really famous scripture in Genesis. Famous scripture for, for a whole lot of reasons. But it's most famous for the fact that in that moment, God provided. There was a substitution where Isaac was supposed to be sacrificed. Instead, God provides a sheep, a ram. And in that moment, Abraham looks up and he calls out. For the first time, God is then referred to as God provider. One of his main names in scripture, you can look them up. Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah uh, El Shaddai, there's a whole bunch of them. Jehovah Jireh, God provider. Not just God can provide, but that's his identity. God provider. His provision. If there's anything you're going to leave here today, I pray that in those moments when it is sort of getting off map a little bit, or as we stare down 2024, that in those moments, God's saying, just like he said to Abraham, just like in the mix of that strain and stress, and what am I going to do? But I've got faith, but I don't know if this is going to work out. It says, as the knife was coming down, God spoke to him. And what did God say? Look up. There's a ram in the thicket. Look up. I have provided in the middle of that confusion and frustration, maybe the word for you this year is to look up and He provides. In the midst of lack, to look up, He provides. When you don't know how to look up, He provides. In the middle of health challenges, in broken relationships, in weakness, in fear, in doubt, in I don't know, here's the word, out of the clouds, so to speak, deep in your heart saying, look up, I have provided and He's not just provision provided the thing that you need. He's provided His own Son for you. Greatest miracle of all, it says in the Word, is forgiveness of sin. Not the stuff that you need or the miracle for what you're waiting for. The greatest miracle that He's provided is His Son, Jesus, who was in this Scripture, a foreshadow, was caught in the thicket. 
took your place, took my place, where we should have died on the Mount of Sacrifice, where we deserve to go to our death, Jesus was found to be our substitute. Jesus was found to be the one to take your place, to take my place. Look up. He provides. In the middle of all the stress and all the strain and all the difficulty and all the problems that you face in your world, in your life, the Word is this clear. Look up and find Him. Not the thing, not the stuff, not the miracle, but find Him. Find Him in His wholeness. Find Him in His grace. Find Him in His kindness. Find Him in His holiness. Find Him in His provision. Find Him like, uh, like Thomas did, on his knees in doubt when Jesus says, look at my scars. He says, look up and find my provision. I wonder if it started 2024 with all the plans and everything we have, all the maps, all the stuff we've got on the shelf ready to go. Are we ready for movement? Are we ready for more? Are you ready for Him? And I wonder how expectant we are for God to do that. I wonder how expectant we are for us to step off the map, so to speak, this year. Ready for what He wants to do in your heart. Ready for what He wants to do in this church, in this neighborhood, in this world. He can't can't do it without willing hearts. Wants so much for us to say, yes, I'll step off map. We're going to pray. I want to give people the opportunity in this moment. People who have never looked up. You might have come here this morning and you don't know Jesus. You don't know this redemption. You don't know this bringing back from the brink. You don't know what it's like to be saved, what it's like to be rescued in the thick of feeling like there's, there's no way forward. Maybe you know there's a distance between you and God. There's, there's brokenness, there's sin. If you're, if you're far from Him this morning, He's never far from you. With every eye closed, can I pray? Can I ask a question? If that's you this morning, if you don't know Him, if you've never looked up and seen Him, His provision for your sin, your distance from Him, that gap we call sin, and He paid the price. You should have gone. You should have, shouldn't have made it. But instead, he said, I'll take your place. And from the foundation of the world, it says that lamb was slain, that sacrifice, that death and sin would pass over, that you'd be rescued. If that's you this morning, it's as simple as just letting me know so I can help you. There's a couple of people looking so we can see, but if that's you, I'd love for you to just lift up your hand and say, I want to see Jesus this morning, the start of this year. Maybe you've seen him from a distance. Maybe you've even experienced him before, but you've walked away from him. Yes, thank you. If that's you, I want you to put up your hand and say, that's me, Graham, pray for me this morning. I want to take that step. And this might be the moment that's kind of off map, like, I don't know if I can do that. But he meets us in those moments and says, I'm here to rescue I'm here to save. I'm here to deliver. I'm here to bring freedom. I'm here to bring hope again. I'm here to bring your dreams alive again. I'm here to bring you back into right relationship with Him. I'm here to give you the righteousness you could never earn. If that's you this morning, I want to raise your hand one more time. If you've already done it, just raise your hand. Yes, thank you. So amazing. If there's anybody else who say, yes, I need you, Lord. I want you, Jesus. Amazing. We're going to pray a prayer. 
simple prayer. Everyone can pray it together and out loud as a family. To mark this moment, we're going to pray it together. It goes like this. Dear Jesus, come on, you pray it with me. Dear Jesus, I invite you now into my heart and into my life. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for raising from the dead, for giving me hope, for giving me life, to give me a future. I receive you into every part of me right now that I may walk out all my days in communion with you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Thank you once again for joining us. Feel free to contact us on our Facebook, our website, and jump on our Instagram at mcc.church. Also, make sure to rate and review as well as share. Finally, from all the team at MCC, have a blessed day. And until next time, bless you.